Look at the SATs. The justification for eliminating SATs is because it supposedly has an adverse impact or there's implicit bias because of the outcome against African-Americans. Just imagine if that type of situation occurred with any other ethnic group. Harvard would be flushing that criteria down the toilet. Over the past year, we've seen Ivy League schools pledge to drop SATs in admissions. We've seen the city of San Francisco move toward raffle admissions for elite magnet schools. And we've seen parents file suits against K-12 schools in Virginia over racial discrimination in admissions. The common thread in all of these education movements is the disproportionate effect on Asian student enrollment. So is anti-Asian discrimination happening in schools? What is the evidence for it? And what do the courts say? Here to discuss is Lee Chang. Lee is a lawyer and the secretary of the Asian American Legal Foundation. Let's jump right in. Lee, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So in 2019, you produced a video for PragerU that argues that Harvard University systematically discriminates against Asians. And just since that time in the past year alone, we've seen these lawsuits against K-12 schools. So it seems this problem is growing, if anything. So first off, what's your involvement in these discrimination cases or groups of cases? So I've been involved in fighting anti-Asian discrimination in schools for since probably the early 90s. And uh, as far as the uh, Harvard lawsuit itself, I'm not a plaintiff, but I, I did give the Harvard alumni um, affidavit in that case in favor of the plaintiffs. My uh, The organization that was set up to fight discrimination against Asian kids in San Francisco schools in the 90s, which is called the Asian American Legal Foundation, has been consistently the only Asian American uh, organization, civil rights group, that has opposed the use of racial preferences against Asian Americans and opposed discrimination against Asian Americans for any reason. We don't think there is a good reason to discriminate against Asian Americans or frankly for against anybody based on race. And so we have filed amicus briefs since 1994 in almost every single uh, Supreme Court civil rights case. Now, talking about that Harvard case, because that's, of course, the most high profile and it's been in the news, in and out of the news for about a decade now. What was the backbone of the argument that Harvard discriminates against Asians? Well, so um, the initial backbone of the argument is I think people people started to develop anecdotally an awareness that if you were an Asian American student, you just had a very hard time getting into Harvard. And then when you looked at the statistics, it wasn't just Harvard, but any time someone managed to pull statistics and pull studies about any objective measurable criteria, it was very obvious that Asian American students and applicants were subjected to higher ones than anybody else because of because there was a belief um, by many of these schools that Asians are, were are quote unquote overrepresented. Uh, I think if you wanted to say that there's any sort of smoking gun, uh, you would just look at the pre-lawsuit, the pre-SFFA versus Harvard lawsuit. Uh, you look at the admission statistics at Harvard um, of uh, students from different ethnic groups, and what the, what people noticed was, whoa, wait a second, Asian Americans are being admitted. Uh, into these schools at roughly the same rates every single year for 20 to 30 years. It's, it was roughly somewhere between 19 and 22%, even though the percentage of Asian Americans in the United States had grown tremendously. It virtually doubled or trebled in 20 or 30 years. Well, one thing that I found pretty compelling when I looked into the case is that there was the three components of admissions. 
academics, extracurriculars, and personality. Sure, it was huge. I mean, it's 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 a, it's the smoking gun, absolute smoking gun. So um, Harvard has used those criteria for many many years. Ac- the three pillars are academics, extracurriculars, and personality, and they all technically feed into an aggregate, right? And what's interesting is that Harvard only pretty much admits students in the top two quintiles. And so when they looked at that, they said, wait, hold on, Asian American kids in the top two quintiles and the top two quintiles of uh, extracurriculars as well, in order for an Asian American kid, so Asian Americans had half the probability of getting a top personality score. So the personality score was the only place where Harvard could get very squishy so that they could shape the class that they wanted, right? And so they used personality as exact in precisely that way. And they basically scored Asian American kids. Asian American kids had half the probability of getting one of the one of the higher personality scores as white kids. They had seven times less of a chance of getting uh, the highest personality score as a Hispanic applicant, and eight times less than a black applicant. Well, what what was interesting about some of those personality categories when I looked into it is they seem pretty subjective. So I understand they're very granular in how they evaluate each of these candidates, but the actual criteria seem like there's a lot of wiggle room. For example, one of, I remember one was integrity. The other one was effervescence. So when you're grading (laughs) someone on their effervescence, I mean, it seems like there's room for a lot of interpretation there. When you look at the evidence, it was bullshit. When they said that they applied these standards in, you know, it's just a, I don't know how they live with themselves other than they think they're serving a higher cause because the, the, there were two set, there were actually, there was actually a control, control set of scores, which were alumni interviews. So alumni actually met these candidates, sat down and interviewed these candidates and the alumni using the same definitions scored Asian American candidates no lower than kids of any other ethnic group. So, uh, so people who evaluated the candidates who did not meet the Asian students scored them very low on the personality or character score. That's right. Harvard admissions scored these candidates very, very consistently, materially lower by multiple standard deviations. But the people and who actually met the kids scored them higher. That's right. Okay. That's right. So, so Harvard never answered or managed to, I think, in my opinion, addressed gosh, how did this happen? They, they, they made some vague references to, well, we have access to teacher recommendations and counselor recommendations, but they never managed to prove, they never produced any evidence that showed that consistently Asian American kids were rated lower by teachers and principals by a factor of eight, by a factor of seven, by a factor of two relative to white and Hispanic candidates. What Harvard is doing is is essentially contributing. Harvard and other schools that that do this, they're contributing to very negative stereotyping against Asian Americans that is not only racist, but completely undeserved, okay? Just imagine a kid who excels in kids categorically. We're not talking about one or two kids. We're talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions over the course of decades who are excelling academically, great kids academically, love learning, are excelling in extracurriculars, lots of leadership, lots of community service. And Harvard's saying that their that their principals, that their counselors, that their teachers categorically score Asian kids 
that much lower. In 2019, though, a judge ruled that the plaintiffs hadn't proved racial animus. So basically said they, they said there could have been legitimate reasons why Asians consistently scored lower on these subjective characteristics. We talked about integrity, effervescence, and whatnot. So what was the hole in the case that made the judge rule that way? In my opinion, there was no hole in the case. Okay, uh, federal judges aren't gods. I'll note that federal judges upheld Plessy v. Ferguson for 60 years. And I'm going to note that federal judges uh, upheld segregation. You know, they upheld segregation. They upheld Dred Scott. We have a lot of federal judges right now who are of the firm belief that racial preferences are great. And fortunately, we have a judiciary that has multiple layers, and they have. There are people who uh, are. There's going to be a hearing now at the Supreme Court that will decide whether or not this program is constitutional, whether that judge ignored evidence, which I think that judge completely did. Now, is there any polling on how Asian students and or Asian parents feel about these policies? I mean, ostensibly, there's going to be some people that are on board with diversity policies, even if it disadvantages them personally. What do we know about public opinion among Asian students? Well, I mean, it's kind of, it's hard to say. It's very hard to say. These polls uh, produce results. So there are claims by Asian American, quote unquote, civil rights groups, right, that Asian Americans support affirmative action. Okay. And, and, and it's, this is part of the great, um, uh, I think, manipulation of words, Orwellian level manipulation of words that's taken place over the last couple of decades, where, you know, affirmative action has now come to, you know, it, it, it should mean one thing. But I think most people realize that as implemented, it means racial preference, right? And so it, most people support affirmative action. I support action that is affirmative, right? So if nobody qualifies what affirmative action means, at, in, at its face, affirmative action means that we're, we're trying to help disadvantaged people succeed. We're trying to make sure that people who um, you know, have the necessary work ethic and talent get a chance, right? And, and it's, it's in society's interest to do so, not to mention that it's, it's just. Everyone supports that. But when you actually qualify affirmative action, and over time, as people understand, as implemented, what it means, right? Overwhelmingly, people are against racial preference. They're against affirmative action where race, gender, and other non-malleable criteria are used in a way that's determinative or significant. Polling has consistently showed that people of, of every single ethnic group, including African-Americans, if asked whether race should be uh, determinant and used in college admissions, a, a majority or supermajority have opposed the use of race. So that's been completely consistent over the last 50, 60 years. Where does the legal battle stand right now when it comes to these types of policies across the board? I understand there's several cases that have gone on. There was that Harvard case where do things stand right now in terms of the precedent? Well, so the Harvard case uh, is at best, in my view, um, it's at, at best the beginning of the end of the racial preference edifice. If this case went the wrong way, it would be absolute disaster for people who believe that Americans should be treated as individuals. It would be an absolute disaster. There have been efforts to chip away at individual rights for the last 20 to 30 years 
really largely start, starting the, the the worst president that we have is the Grutter, Grutter case in, in 2003 involving the University of Michigan, where for the first time, um, diversity itself, racial diversity was upheld as a compelling state interest by a very, very well-intentioned but misguided United States Supreme Court. And even then, they, they sent Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who wrote the majority decision, said this really should be just a short term. It shouldn't last more than 25 years, short term um, type of program. This is not great. We acknowledge this is not a great thing. We should not be treating people you know, in America differently based on race and gender and so on. And here we are almost 25 years later, you know, and these programs show absolutely no signs of being abated. In fact, they're being expanded. And the Grutter doctrine which was reinforced in Fisher. So what Grutter and Fisher in 2015 involving the University of Texas did was it, it actually created a racial standard that is grotesque and worse than Plessy v. Ferguson. It, what it says is that a government official, unelected government official or a bureaucrat or an administrator can simply declare that they are trying to serve the public interest and achieve diversity and they can use race and it will be con considered, it will meet the first prong of constitutional strict scrutiny. And what the Harvard case represents, if it goes the wrong way, is an erosion of the second prong, which is narrow tailoring. Narrow tailoring says that, okay, even if it's a compelling state interest and race is used, it has to be, the program has to be closely tied to the goal that it's supposed, the wrong it's supposed to remedy, right? And people are kind of chipping away at that second prong so that, if Harvard goes the wrong way, then the then then a lot of schools and programs will be able to use race with very, very little legitimate challenge in courts. And it's not just, this doesn't stop at, the reason I'm personally very invested is that this doesn't stop in school admissions. I recognized this many years ago when I would, I, I, so I, I'll point out, I got into Lowell High School. I actually got into Harvard. I got into Berkeley. I'm not a bitter candidate who didn't get into these schools. But I saw what these programs did, and I saw who they hurt. They hurt poor people, okay? They erode the principle of individual rights, and they set our society up for a society where people can be treated differently based on race, based upon whoever happens to be in power or favored at that time. And that's grotesquely wrong and fundamentally un-American. Now, I just want to clarify, the Harvard case is still ongoing. Is that going to go to the Supreme Court? What's the status there? It's at the Supreme Court. So the Harvard case is now at the Supreme Court, along with a parallel case involving the University of North Carolina, which is a public school, right? And not to anyone's great surprise, again, the trial judges completely ignored the evidence. Very, very blatant public statements about, but from the school administrators saying that they wanted to achieve certain racial results you know, criteria in it that then impacted grotesquely, you know, the outcome to meet the targeted racial results. And uh, so UNC and Harvard are both essentially being, they're, they're up at the United States Supreme Court, which is granted certiorari, which means that the Supreme Court will hear it this year. And um, I certainly have, a, have, have high hopes in this court. Well, Lee, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people follow your work online? So our uh, website is www.asianamericanlegal.com and it will contain, if anybody's interested, our perspectives. It's been a, we've had a very consistent perspective about individual rights um, over the last 
almost 25 years now. You know, and our, our belief is that uh, people should be treated as individuals and that the experience of Asian Americans illustrates the risks of, of, you know, treating people differently based on race. We are, we're not black and we're not white. I'm not black and I'm not white. And so we have, we have but we've not been spectators. You know, Asian Americans were discriminated in, the, in an age where uh, white people were favored, were preferred. And Asian Americans continue to be discriminated against in an age where white people are not. And this really just illustrates that discrimination based on race is not really about race, it's about power. Who is in power? And as Americans, we have a deep interest. Asian Americans have a deep interest in avoiding tribalism. All right, well, Lee, we're just about out of time, but thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, folks, that's the end of today's Office Hours. Until next time, I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.